This is Warrior Podcast, changing the world by introducing warriors to the warrior god. I'm your host, Elizabeth Andrade, here with Connor Shanahan. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about communication and expressing our emotions, which is a vital skill because, besides putting Jesus Christ in the center of our relationships, communication is probably the most important thing in order to have a healthy relationship. But before we can talk about how to communicate, we must define the problem. Connor, can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Uh, Emotions are a complicated thing. And even hinting at a conversation around emotions is not something that military members, first responders, manly, masculine servers of our country are really prone to do. And I think that this is evident so much like military trainees, when they leave for basic training or whatever your branch of service calls your initial entry level training, when they leave for deployments, when they're away for loved ones for a long time, you're naturally going to experience emotions. You're naturally going to struggle with that. And if you have never considered how to handle those, if you've never considered how to process them and handle them accurately, it's it's going to hurt you in the long run. How about military spouses during long training periods and deployments as well, going through emotions, learning how to process these things. Law enforcement officers who have to by nature of their job, handle emotions from the difficult things that they experience every day. And then wading through that process of, of detachment, wading through that process of how to handle emotions when they get home and when they spend time with their family after seeing so many difficult things on shift. Men in general, especially warriors, first responders, firefighters, military members, seem to have a dangerous misunderstanding of the role of emotions in life, and in love. And that's kind of the heart of, of this episode right here. It's just, I think that this dangerous misunderstanding, honestly, if, if we really think about it, can lead to really negative consequences. And, and just a, maybe a quick example of that to just finish setting the stage here. When people enter the military, they are, the classic military phrase is, we will tear you down to build you up, right? And so they want to tear down your understanding of the world, tear down the way that you process things, the way that you do things, so that they can then train you to do things the way that they want you to, so that you could serve as they see fit, right? This can lead to some negative consequences if you don't receive extra training in processing emotions, handling emotions. If you are in this indoctrination phase of, of entering into the military, adjusting to the culture of the military, and you develop this presupposition that speaking about emotions is bad. Because that's essentially what your drill sergeants will tell you. Do not speak to me, cadet. Do not speak to me, private. Do your thing, obey this command. And if that's how you then leave the military and engage with your girlfriend, with your fiance, with your husband, whomever, with your coworkers, if that's how you engage with them is that you never speak your mind, you never know how to process emotions, that's only gonna have harmful effects on your soul. And I can't help but think, real talk, that this is one of the reasons why the suicide rate for first responders, for military members is so high because of this dangerous misunderstanding of the role of emotions in life and love. So not only will this help you in life and love, learning how to process emotions, learning how to have this conversation, learning how to simply be honest with yourself, but for that military example of the the indoctrinated military member, this is also gonna help you be a better soldier, a better sailor, airman, marine, being able to critically think being able to process, being able to know how you're feeling and how to respond accordingly, be aware of that. Um, being better at communication will help you in battle. Communication is essential in battle, in life, in love. And that's the point of this episode, and that's why we're so excited to talk about it. That's right. So the good news is that we are capable of relearning. So 
today we're going to talk a little bit about how to properly learn to communicate. And I believe that proper communication begins when we earnestly desire and strive to fully understand and value what the other person is saying with no ulterior motives. It's huge, right? The, the centerpiece or the root of conflict is misunderstanding. Right. Not hearing somebody. So whether it's with a coworker, whether it's with your supervisor at your military base, whether it's with your, your shift commander as a police officer, not understanding, not being heard leads to strife. It leads to arguments. Right. And like you said, the root of emotions being expressed poorly is tied to the desire of wanting to be heard and wanting to be seen. And when they're expressed poorly, that didn't happen. Exactly. Exactly. And obviously, well, hopefully it's obvious we're coming at this from a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. We are a Christian organization seeking to make disciples. And so we look at at our sacred text, our scriptures, and we look at, at the very opening pages. We look at Genesis chapter one. How did God create us? Well, throughout that creation narrative, we see an emphasis being placed on the human being's natural desire to be seen, known, and loved. And regardless of what you think about the scriptures, tell me that isn't true. Tell me that our, our ultimate desire in life, that so many problems in life are because human beings are not seen, they're not known, and they're not loved. Tell me why all our Instagram posts are fake, because we think that if people actually saw the real me, if they saw who I really am, and not this filtered up version or not this, this highlight reel version, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't know me. They wouldn't really love me. God's design for us was to be seen, known, and loved by him first and foremost, and then by others. And so learning how to process these things, learning how to accurately communicate and be honest with yourself about how you're feeling and be honest with your spouse and with others about how you're feeling can lead to this idea of flourishing or living out God's design for your life. Right. We have emotions. That's a big part of communication. And that's a big part of being seen, heard, known. How can emotions hinder or help us in regards to understanding and knowing and seeing another person? Absolutely. Perhaps we start with defining mm -hmm. emotions. Let's, uh, here's a definition that we got from a psychologist. This is kind of complicated, but here we go. Emotions are defined as a complex state of feeling that results in physical and psychological changes that influence thought and behavior. And here's, I think what that most simply means is that emotions are the things that we naturally feel and they express themselves in our physical nature. They express themselves in how we physically feel. They express themselves through our mental health, how we are mentally feeling, how we are able to process and handle life. And our emotions are the catalyst for our thoughts and our behaviors. I think that's a very deep and good definition, a good baseline. Yeah, I think it's helpful just to know what we're dealing with. Like emotions is not just sad, happy. I mean, and it is in a sense, but it also is so much deeper than that. Right. Because you feel sad, then maybe your posture is worse. And then because your posture is worse, then you just naturally start to feel sick. You naturally start to feel worse. And then because of all those things, then you start to snap at your coworkers or you start to have just shorter responses to the people that you love. And then it leads to damaged relationships or it leads to harmful conversation with the people that you want to have positive conversation with. So while it is perhaps something as simple as being able to say happy, sad, frustrated, angry, it's also deeper than that because the way that we feel our emotions dictate our thoughts, dictate our behaviors, dictate our, our uh, physical and psychological health. So emotions are deeper than just happy, sad. They're involved in everything spiritually, physically, mentally of our very being. So let's discuss the validity of emotions. What, what is that? What is the idea behind that? How does that work? It's huge. It's huge. And it goes back to the point that you brought up earlier is that people just want to be seen. They want to be known. They want to be loved. They want to have their emotions understood. They want to be valued. 
I think that that is that is the baseline, and I think it's twofold. One, as an individual, you have to, and this is a skill, but you have to strive to understand how you're feeling, and simply know this truth. Whether you believe it or not at this stage, just know this. Write this down. Put this in your head. It's okay to feel that way. It's valid that you feel that way. If you feel angry, that's okay. I'm sure it's understandable as to why you're angry. So that's one. As an individual, allow yourself to experience your emotions and feel them and know that they're valid. And two, this is huge also, equally important in relationships, to be able to look at your spouse, to be able to look at your your, uh, significant other and validate their emotions is huge. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten in trouble with my wife when she's trying to express her feelings. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not true. No, that's not true. When she's talking about being sad or she's talking about being angry about something. And my initial gut reaction is, even though I don't, I didn't view it this way, it was invalidating, right? I'm thinking, no, that's clearly not what's happening. That's not true. When the most beneficial and practical thing that you can do, write this down if you're in a relationship, is say, your feelings are valid, period. It goes to say we are two different people experiencing life in two very different ways. We could have maybe a history or something that happened to us in the past that triggers this emotion and the other person can't possibly understand because they didn't go through the same experience. So we have to understand that what the other person feels is valid, but um, maybe not necessarily true. Absolutely. And and therein lies kind of a beautiful dichotomy that all emotions are valid. So the way that you feel, it's understandable based on like you just brought up our backgrounds, the way that we were raised, things that have happened to us in the past, or whatever we have experienced, our emotions are valid. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always true. It doesn't mean that we can always necessarily trust the way that we feel, but we need to be able to recognize it. We need to be able to say, okay, I feel this way and that's okay. That's understandable. It doesn't have to define me. It doesn't have, I don't have to act out this, which we'll talk about in a second, but know that that, that basic principle, that Emotions are valid. So when you're talking to your spouse, when you're talking to a significant other, validate their emotions. Say whatever you call your spouse, sweetie, honey, baby, it's okay. It's understandable that you feel this way. I understand that you feel sad. I hear you. I see you. You're angry. I hear that. That's understandable. Then from there, through conversation and through knowing your, your significant other and how they respond to things, then you could work to pursuing truth, work to understanding and seeking truth. Yeah. And feelings are not only valid, but they're also important. Um, It's important because they are a gauge to indicate what is going on inside of our minds. What is a problem maybe that exists that we don't see? The feelings allow us to realize that there's something going on before we can even realize or process our thoughts. But the feelings are the indicators. They're not the fuel behind our actions. Absolutely. And and that thing of, of being an indicator is huge. Emotions are your check engine light. And you need to realize that especially the manly masculine men out there serving on the front lines, you need to recognize that this is your check engine light. When you start to feel angry, when you start to feel sad, when you start to feel anxious, or when you find yourself drawn towards a negative behavior, like a compulsive behavior all of a sudden, just pause for a second if you can and consider, hey, why am I feeling this way? Or what's making me seek out this compulsive behavior? Being able to stop and recognize how you feel is a vital skill. And that's so difficult for us. That's so difficult, especially for men, I think. I think we're just not wired this way. Part of us is is just not wired towards emotion. And some of us are. Some men are are much better at this than others. And I don't want to paint too broad of a brush here. But I think it's significant. And I do want to press in for our warriors out there, for our military members, first responders. Here's the takeaway, the practical takeaway. Feelings are your check engine light. When you feel a certain way, stop. Stop. Pull the car over. Stop and examine why that check engine light has come on and why you're feeling the way that you are. 
Right. And giving those feelings to God, working through why they are happening and what's going on in your mind to really dig in deeper can also be the pathway to healing from past hurts and flourishing, as you say, in your relationships. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. That's so true. Like, it's not just the check engine light coming on for fun. It's not just coming on to show itself. You don't just get angry all of a sudden because, hey, your body or your mind or your soul or whatever is like, let's mess with this guy. (laughs) Let's get angry. No, there absolutely. That's that's a huge point is that there is almost always something beneath the water. The emotion is the tip of the iceberg that you see peeking up at the top of the water. And below that is perhaps the root of the problem, perhaps a past hurt that we need to deal with, perhaps some counseling that we need to seek out, perhaps a repenting of a sin, perhaps asking forgiveness from your spouse. But without a doubt that when that check engine light comes on, when you feel yourself becoming emotional, when you feel an emotion coming on, be it anger, sadness, frustration, angst, stop check that engine light and consider why you're feeling that way and consider what deeper things might be going on there. Validate yourself in that. Understand that it's okay. It's all right that I'm feeling this way. This is totally valid and understandable. Now let's seek some truth. Let's, let's process why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling and then seek help, community, pastors, us, hit us up and try to process these things and see what's going on beneath the surface. Right. And taking these steps can bring nothing but flourishing to your life. Connor, can you take us maybe to an example in scripture? Uh, This kind of reminds me of David. He was an emotional guy and he was he was a warrior. Super emotional guy. And this is an example we wanted to talk about because I think David's so relatable, especially again to the warrior, to the first responder, to the military member. to the guy who struggles understanding and validating their emotions. This guy that we have in scripture, King David, was this beautiful portrait of of masculinity, of manhood. And I would say, you know, a few years back, I don't know if this is still popular or not. A few years back, there was this phrase, toxic masculinity. That was, I felt like in articles all the time, everyone was talking about this idea of toxic masculinity. I think that there's at least a little bit of truth to that, where men have a harder time dealing with their emotions. And our culture or society has placed such a weird pressure on men that I think compels us to reject our emotions. And so consider this guy, King David, all right? When he was a young boy, I have my Bible open right here. I'm going to read a quick verse from 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So the context of this verse is that David, as a young boy, is about to defend his country, the country of Israel, against an enemy. They were at war with the Philistines. The Philistines had sent forth this massive, giant figure, Goliath. And uh, they were like, bro, no one needs to die today. Let's do a 1v1, okay? That's what, that's what the Philistines were saying. Let's do a 1v1. We'll send our best guy. You send your best guy. And so the Philistines sent forth Goliath, this massive, strong, intimidating-looking guy. And the Israelites were wetting their drawers, sweating their trousers on the sidelines. They were scared out of their mind. And so they didn't send anyone forward. They said, uh, no, thank you. He's, he's a little large, a little XL over there, Mr. Goliath. And so no one would step forward and fight him. Until young David, a young boy at this time, stepped forward and said, I'll fight him because he's defying the Lord's chosen people. He's defying Israel. He's blaspheming our God. So David stepped forward and, and they're like, dude, David, you're a little punk. You're a little kid. What do you You can't go out there. And David says, uh, and the verse I just read is David's response. He says, in a little context as well, David was a shepherd. So he's used to taking sheep on long treks, on long journeys through the wilderness, getting them to one place to another. And apparently along those journeys, he came across lions. He came across bears. And he says that the Lord had rescued him from their paws, meaning he killed them 
He was able to kill lions and bears as a young boy out in the wilderness because he was defending his sheep. And that's just so relatable for first responders, defending the innocent, the sheepdogs out there on the front line, defending the sheep from the wolves. That was David's mindset, that he was going to defend the sheep from the wolf Goliath, and he's going to go out there. So the point is, in bringing this up, David's a boss. He's a warrior. He was not afraid of this Philistine giant. He had killed lions and bears, and he was ready to wage war against Goliath. And he did. He went out there, and he slaughtered him. He defeated Goliath. He went on because of that. Obviously, he won this massive victory for his country. So his country looks at him as a hero, a national hero, and rightfully so. So because of that, and obviously because of God's sovereignty and God's providence and orchestrating the events of David's life, David became the king over Israel. So he rules and reigns as king. He leads his people in many, many battles. He experiences the hardships of war. You could look at a lot of events of David's life and just see that this guy lived a hard life. Certainly he was celebrated as a national hero, but he also experienced warfare. He experienced bloodshed. He lost loved ones. He lost soldiers. He lost comrades. He was familiar with the lifestyle of the warrior. That's, I think, the point. He was familiar with the lifestyle of the warrior, and he was an absolute warrior. He was tough. He fought battles. Also, David was an emotional guy. And that's the picture that we're trying to point, is that this doesn't have to be a one thing or the other, that this beautiful dichotomy of biblical manhood is a tender aggression. Maybe that's how I would say it. A tender aggression that we are tender in our understanding of emotions that we'll talk about here with David in in just a moment. But we're also aggressive in waging war against sin. We're aggressive in chasing the things that God has called us to. We are tenderly aggressive in uh, rejecting things that will hurt our family, right? So I think we've painted the picture of Dave being aggressive. He killed lions, bears, tigers, oh my. Probably not tigers. That's not mentioned, but (laughs) maybe. Uh, He killed Goliath. He fought wars. He led his people in battle. He'd lost loved ones. And here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see this picture of David dancing with all his might before the Lord. So the context here is David bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which was a very significant thing for the people of Israel. It was symbolic of God's presence. It was symbolic of God's favor upon them. It was symbolic of of God's covenant relationship to these people, of God saying, I will be with you. I will lead you in battle. I will protect you for my glory. And so David is, is ushering in this very significant piece of worship for his people. And he is straight up worshiping the Lord. He is dancing. He is singing. The scriptures very well in here, Second Samuel 6, paint him as kind of dancing in his underwear before the Lord. No clothes, no shirt, no shoes, no problem. No shame. Get out there and worship <laughs> the Lord. And um, there's this kind of interesting confrontation where his wife at the time says, what are you doing? Like, you're out there in your underwear, you're out there dancing, no shirt, no shoes, no problem, praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, don't do that. You look silly. You are the king of Israel. Act like the king. You are a warrior. Act like a warrior. Doesn't this sound like the lies that society would tell people? Yeah. Hey, act like a warrior. You can't cry. You can't demonstrate your emotions. Suck it up. Be the person that, that, that you are. Be the warrior that you are. Be the king that you are. And David says, this is his response in Second Samuel 6. Uh, I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more. He says, I'm singing, I'm dancing, I'm praising the Lord. I'm experiencing these emotions that are, that are joyful. And I'll do so all the more because it is good and right for men to be able to identify their emotions and express them positively. Similarly in this, I just want to point out a couple references if you're looking to do some extra credit out there. 
A couple references of David just experiencing and honestly addressing some emotions. In the sixth Psalm, David talks about feeling abandoned. He talks about feeling weak. In the sixth Psalm as well, he talks about being in agony. He honestly, and, and also in anguish, he addresses these emotions. In the 23rd Psalm, David talks about comfort, the need to draw comfort from the Lord. In the 32nd Psalm, David talks about confessing sin, honestly addressing his mistakes in life. In Psalm 16, he talks about confidence. Psalm 3, he talks about courage. Psalm 34, he talks about being crushed. Chapter 9, he talks about being in despair. And we can go on and on and on. Psalm 31, he talks about being in grief, lamenting and grieving over his lost brothers in battle. We could go on and on talking about the emotional life of David. But the point here is simple, is that as a warrior, as a first responder, as a military member, the pressure is on you to, quote unquote, be a warrior, to suck it up, to not show emotion, to serve your country and not complain about it. And while there is absolute honor in serving your country and in doing a good job, which all of you are obviously striving to do, you need to know that it's okay to feel your emotions. It's okay to be validated in your emotions. It's okay to honestly say, this is how I'm feeling. That's valid. And here's how I'm going to express that emotion honestly. Expressing your emotions in the way that you're explaining, Connor, and the way that David did in the Bible is a way to become an even better warrior. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's a huge point as well. Like there's such there is a culture of self-improvement within the military. Mm-hmm. There's a culture of self-improvement as a first responder. You need to train, you need to eat right, you need to do these things so that you can become more proficient at your job. And I, I would absolutely affirm that this is part of this, being able to address how you're feeling, honestly evaluate yourself. Okay, this is what I'm feeling, perhaps understanding why you're feeling that way, and then acting accordingly. Finding some truthful, helpful ways to express your emotions will only make you a better man, a better husband. It'll make you a better woman. It'll make you a better wife. It'll make you uh, just a better individual overall. And it'll also make you a better warrior, without a doubt. Being able to accurately communicate with your boss, being able to accurately communicate with your coworkers, being able to handle the intense emotions of dealing with a use of force situation as a police officer, being able to handle the intense emotions of, of combat, of a firefight as a service member, and being able to process those, act accordingly, and still speak and still act decisively will only make you more proficient at the tasks that you are called to do, without a doubt. Right. So uh, let's dive a little bit more into communication as we're speaking of. So even though David was a warrior, I believe that communication itself is not a battle. In communication, we have this need to be right, and maybe you can dive a little deeper into this, but... I believe that both sides need to be equally heard and understood. If one person wins the fight, I say wins with my quote, quote, because it's not a win. But if one person wins the fight, then neither person wins. They both lose. In communication, there is not a winner and a loser. There are only losers and losers and winners and winners. So how, how can we avoid turning a conversation into a battle? It's so good. It's not a battle, right? That's such a, a valid, important point. So practically speaking now, right? Like we've covered emotions, what they are, how to process them, a framework for understanding that all emotions are valid, um, some encouragement to consider the truth of emotions as well, an encouragement for you warriors that it's okay to feel the way that you feel and that there is a beautiful dichotomy of this tender aggression to be able to process your emotions and still fulfill the role that God has commanded you to do. And practically now, what does that look like? What is the most practical way for this to, to play itself out? Whether you are seeking to communicate, because to your point, emotions expresses itself in communication, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like, like conflict is 
based around communication. Right. Unless you are just with the most passive aggressive people ever and you just give cold shoulders all day long. Communication is a vital part of processing emotions. Uh, a vital part of, of how to handle these emotions is how you communicate them. So most practically, here are a few things, a few things that we need to know. Whether you are dealing with coworkers, whether you're dealing with, a, with your boss, whether the people around you are emotional or whether you are emotional, whether you're dealing with your, your significant other, your spouse, here are a few things that you need to know most practically. Number one, avoid always and never statements. Whew, tough one. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have gotten to an argument that starts with an always or never statement. Like, let's say I forget, I have to run out to the grocery store for my wife and I forget something. Typical. This is a typical conversation in my house. I forget something because I don't know how to work the grocery store. All right. I don't know where the stuff is. And so I just, or I get the wrong brand and she says something like in her emotion, whatever, she's having a rough day. You always do this. You always do this. And that is just so hurtful for me. It's like, oh, do you think I'm always a failure? Do you think I, and then I process it like that. Like I take it to the next level. You think I'm always a failure. You think I always let you down. I think that a simple way to address that, Hey, let's avoid always never statements. Or if, if, if I were to tell my wife, like you never support me, I have to go do this thing at work and she doesn't want to do it with me or she doesn't want to let me go or she doesn't want to take part in it. You never do that. You never do. And that's just not true. It, always never statements are not true. And, and they're rarely helpful. Yeah, and, and I, I just want to add on to that is because I think when you say always never, you're trying to explain that you, the person who's saying always never, is hurt. But the other person can't understand that because always never, um, and I learned this when I went to counseling, this is the first thing you learn in therapy, is all, never say always never. Because always never, instead of communicating that you're hurt, you communicate that something's wrong with the other person. And so all they hear is, well, that's not true because it's not always, it's not never, it's not every time that this happens. And then they don't hear that you're hurting. They just hear that they're the problem, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That makes sense. Like we, we, it's so easy for, especially in the married relationship, especially when, when you're dating someone significantly, when you're engaged or when you're married, there's so much vulnerability at play in that relationship. Like for me as, as a pastor, I I'm so much more aware that that my wife, Madeline, knows my mistakes, right? Like I feel like so much more of a hypocrite at home because I'm trying to live out the convictions of my faith. I'm trying to lead people in their faith. But I know that my wife knows where I mess up better than anybody because she's with me 24-7, right? She knows where I mess up. And so it's so easy for that vulnerability to express itself in a posture of defensiveness. And that's not a healthy thing either. Like for me to go on the defensive for Madeline to say, you always do this or you never do this, that is not helpful, period, right? Like we just covered. Always never statements, never say never. Hashtag never say never. That's what you need to know. And and on the converse, I don't, I don't want to completely let myself off the hook either. Like we should not be operating out of posture of defensiveness. In both of these cases, whether you are the one who tends to say you always or you never do this or whether you're the one who receives it and then reacts defensively. No, 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 that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. In both these cases, what would it look like if we simply believe the best about our spouse or believe the best about our significant other? What if we believe that they weren't trying to hurt us, but that they were trying to express a hurt that they felt as, as your point. Um, and that leads us into our second point. Our second most practical thing that you can do is similar, but a little bit different and also helpful. Avoid you statements. That's big. You make me feel like this. You 
do this. It's similar to the always never. You do this, you make me feel this way. Instead, this goes back to the check engine light. When that check engine light comes on, when you feel an emotion coming, when you feel a, a compulsive behavior coming on, stop, evaluate the check engine light. Why is that coming on? And say, hey, if, if you could just be honest with your spouse, hey, I feel this way. I feel this because of this situation. Or because of the situation, I feel blank. That is a much more healthy and helpful approach. And it kind of eliminates that need for a defensive posture. Yeah, because when you come at someone and you say, you make me feel this way. If I say to my husband, you made me mad when you did this. That's an attack. That's turning the communication into a battle because I'm making the first move stabbing a knife at him and saying, this is all your fault. When really I had an emotion, maybe he did something, but I'm responsible for my emotions. So I need to say to him that I felt upset when this happened, because that way I'm expressing my emotions in a healthy way that doesn't seem like an attack to him. I love the way you just said that. You are Goliath going out before the Israelite army saying, come ye, come ye (laughs) and fight. When you say you make me feel this way. Absolutely. That's instigating a battle. That is almost always going to put your significant other in a posture of defensiveness. So what would it look like for us to embrace this model of teamwork or embrace that we are for each other, to, to trust our spouse, to trust our significant other, to truly believe the best about them, and to act accordingly and to avoid you statements, to avoid blaming, and to be able to understand the check engine light and then process honestly those emotions accordingly by saying, I feel this way. Lastly, third and final practical exhortation for you, and this is really for my men out there. All right, men, gather around. I need you to listen close on this one. Never. I'm going to say never, and I'm going to mean it, and you need to hear me. Never fight emotions with logic. I'm going to say it again for my brothers in the back. Never fight emotions with logic. And this goes back to the validation idea of of validating the valid emotions, validating the valid emotions of your spouse or significant other or even coworker. This works as well. When, when someone is approaching you and they are emotional, again, be it at work, be it in the home, be it in your relationship. If someone is emotional, if they are upset, if they are hurt, if they are angry, do not try to convince them why they should not feel that way. Do not try to fight that emotion with logic and try to convince them, no, 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 that's not logical. That doesn't make sense. You shouldn't be upset about that. You shouldn't be angry about that. That doesn't make sense. That is only going to compound this negative understanding of emotions. It's only going to make your coworker, spouse, whomever you're talking to feel invalidated and feel like, okay, the next time I have an emotion, I'm not going to be able to talk with this person about it because they don't understand the way that I'm feeling and they're just going to try to argue me out of it. And that is never going to work. That's so true. And I think that God made men as providers inside of provision comes the desire to fix the problems for the wife. And I think that the logic is not coming out of a place of bad intentions. The logic is coming out of the place of they see a problem, they're naturally inclined to fix it. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that women are emotional by nature. Their communication is primarily emotional. First, they want to be heard and validated before the problem gets fixed. So if we can understand that, if we can understand how God created men and women, um, and I know I'm, I'm speaking more inside of, of a marital relationship, but in, in general, if we can understand how God created other people with this need to be validated, 
then we won't be so hurt whenever, because I know the first thing that I want to do whenever someone comes to me and say, well, that's not logical that you feel that way is I feel attacked and then I want to fight back. Like you said, I, I, or, or I feel like, oh, next time I have this feeling, I'm not going to bring it up. And, you know, that just leads to more strife inside the relationships. And if communication is done right, if we listen and validate and then after all the feelings are addressed, then we work towards a solution. If it's done right, both sides will be at peace and both sides will feel understood. And in my experience, I think this is important to say, sometimes it takes longer than you expect. And it may seem silly to the person who's not in emotional turmoil. It may seem like it doesn't make sense. Why is this problem taking so long to fix? But like you said, it always goes deeper than what we think. So maybe if I'm upset at my husband for some reason, or if I'm feeling an emotion and he doesn't understand, but he tries to work with me because maybe it's something that happened in my childhood. And for whatever reason, that brings up all these emotions. And a simple thing could be the result of many years of dealing with this issue. And so if the problem at hand takes hours longer than expected to work through the issue, it's okay. It's not silly. The result of that hard work in the moment, the result of taking that time to sit down with the person you're communicating with, whether it be your spouse or a friend or a family member, and actually getting to the point where both sides are at peace and both sides feel understood. Doing that, even though it may seem silly or strange or it doesn't make sense in the moment, the result will be worth it over what could lead to months or years of suffering because you chose to stuff down the issue because you didn't work it out um, of unresolved issues. And when we have unresolved issues, those silly problems appear again and again and again because those emotions were never dealt with. And so they stayed there. And each time that a silly problem comes back, it blows up bigger and bigger and bigger until we have, you know, years of unresolved issues. So that's why it's always important, even if it takes longer than we expect, to work it out in the moment. It's huge. It's huge. And that's the power of emotions. What you're describing there is is the power that emotions have on us. Like for us to even, and I agree with you, I think this way as well, but perhaps we shouldn't. For us to think that any emotion is silly or insignificant, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Everything that we feel is significant. Because the way that we feel dictates our behavior, it dictates our mental health, it dictates our our posture, our behavior. The way that we feel dictates so much about our life. So even if it's just a little hiccup, even if it's just a little thing, it is significant. And that speaks to the power of emotions. What's funny is that as you were talking, I, I affirm without a doubt, I think God has designed men to be the protector, the provider. And I think that that does often lead to this classic fight of, uh, of I don't want you to fix it. Right. Of mm-hmm. a husband trying to fix things and not listen to validate. What's funny is that in my in my marriage, it's kind of the opposite. I'm kind of the more tender one. I'm the more I'm the more emotional one. And my wife is is the fixer. She's a go getter. She's a fixer. Maybe just like to speak to that point of, of insignificance. Just a quick story. When my wife and I were dating, we were long distance forever. We were long distance for a long time. And so we would always FaceTime. We would video chat. We would do whatever we could to catch up and talk and continue to date and encourage each other whenever Whenever we were FaceTiming, and if we have any long-distance couples out there, military couples on deployment, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When that Wi-Fi connectivity issue comes up and it says reconnecting on the FaceTime, every single time that that happened, my wife would say, oh, hey, your Wi-Fi's, your Wi-Fi's acting up. That would make me so mad. It's such an insignificant, silly thing, but it's not because it's how I was feeling. I can't even fully articulate why I was so mad. It just seemed like I was being blamed for an issue that was logically 50-50. Could be mine, could be hers, who knows? And uh, and it was a silly thing, but to your point, I never said anything about it. I never said anything, I just got mad. 
I just got mad and I stuffed it down and I never said anything about it until years later. We were on a FaceTime and, and we had a, an explosive argument, a fight, because I had failed to honestly address how I was feeling that very first time where she said, your Wi-Fi is acting up. I should have just said, hey, it could it could be either one. It makes me feel like, I feel like it's not my fault. I'm just trying to love you. I'm trying to talk to you. I don't know. It was just such a weird, insignificant thing. Uh, but again, it's not insignificant. It is real. And because that quote unquote silly thing festered in me for so long, it led to a way more significant fight down the road when it could have been honestly addressed and squashed from the get-go. Right. It's important to remember to reject the idea that what the other person's feeling is insignificant because it never is. It might be a mountain to the other person and you just can't see it because you're not experiencing the same thing that they are experiencing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the point is emotions are powerful. Emotions dictate so much about our life. And that leads us into, ladies and gentlemen, the main event of the evening. I'm fully convinced of this. This is the most significant problem that we face because of emotions. And the root of the problem is identity. It's identity. When our emotions dictate our identity, when we confuse how we feel with who we are as a human being, we get into all sorts of trouble. And I think that that, to illustrate this point further, speaks to the significance and power that emotions have on our life. Panic sets in when one's emotions confuse one identity. So let me set this up and just paint this picture. The meaning of life, that is a question that has plagued mankind forever, right? Now, as Christians, we would say the meaning of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? But, of course, the world doesn't necessarily share our worldview. Many people do not share our worldview. And I think that the prevalent meaning of life in the West, in the United States, over the past 50 years or so, has been to be a good person. Think of your parents' generation. Think of your grandparents' generation. Think of uh, the 1950s World War II boomer generation. The prevailing worldview and mindset, the meaning of life for them, was to be a good person. Therefore, how that expressed itself in a relevant way to our conversation, when our parents and grandparents would feel emotions, they would filter them through this framework. How can I be a good person? Is this the right thing to do? Does this make me a good person? And if that emotion would not facilitate that framework, would not facilitate their understanding of things, they would stuff it down. They would ignore it. And because of that, you see like the classic cartoons or books about, you know, the 1950s parents and grandparents that were just, they would just explode all of a sudden, right? Like it's like the classic dad at the kitchen table that doesn't say a word, stuffs his emotions down. And then all of a sudden the kid spills a bowl of cereal and he explodes. And it's just not good. It's, it's not a helpful thing to do to, to stuff emotions down ever. But in, in saying that, the point of bringing that up is to say that I think that, that our meaning of life has changed. I think that as a society, as again in the West, in the United States, as a postmodern society, our meaning of life, our framework for understanding things is now identity. In our postmodern society, identity is performative, okay, if that makes sense. So the challenge on us, the meaning of our life is to figure out who we are. What can you do to become who you are? That's kind of our, our presupposition. That's what we're operating with. And may, maybe you've never considered this. Hopefully this is resonating with you because I think it's true that our identity has become performative. Find who you are. That's kind of the prevailing slogan of our day, whether that's conscious or subconscious. And there, because of that, there's so much pressure on young people and there's so much pressure on all people to find who they are, to make their identity, to construct their identity, to find out 
who and what is their most true self and how can they live accordingly. That's the prevailing worldview in our day. We see this play itself out in, uh, in identity politics and tribalism. People just trying to find their identity by finding a group of people who shares their beliefs or shares their, their political views and then run in full force with that group. And therefore, that leads to you seeing other people as enemies, which is bad. The point there is that our emotions today, in this day, our emotions tend to dictate our identity that life is all about finding your true self and defending that to the death. That's the point of bringing up identity politics is that it's so easy for us to, because of the way that we feel, try to form our identity around our feelings and emotions. And then once we feel like we have it, because this is the quest of life, this is the meaning of life. If you find out who you are, if you find out your true self, you have made it, you are woke, you are enlightened. And once you find it, therefore you defend it to the death. So if your identity is then found in conservative politics or, or liberal politics, you will defend that to the death. And that's where we see our society heading right now. That's what we see happening. And I think it's because of this issue. It's because our understanding of life is all about identity. It's all about finding who you are, finding your true self, and then defending that to the death. You see this online. If you have a Twitter account, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> People just arguing and trying to prove themselves, prove who they are, and again, defend it vigorously. The underlying idea here that we need to address is this sentence. I feel, therefore I am. That is the prevalent modern worldview to understand life. Because I feel this way, therefore that's who I am. And I just like to lovingly say, that's not true. That's not true. That is not a framework that will lead to your flourishing. That's not gonna lead to your joy. And, and I think you could, like simply answer this question. If you are feeling right now in this moment, like, wow, that is how I have operated. That is how I think I feel. Therefore I am. Here's just a loving question for you. How is that working out? How's that working out for you? We think that God has designed you for so much better than this. God has designed you for so much better than a, a fickle life that is based upon your feelings being expressed in who you are. If you would accept the fact that God has created you in his image, that in and of itself already gives you inherent worth and value as an image bearer of our creator, God. God has created you in his image and therefore you have inherent worth and value, period. Consider that reality. You don't have to strive to fight for your identity. You don't have to go through years and years of study and processing emotions to be able to figure out who you are or what your true self is. You can rest in the simple fact that you are a image bearer of the most high God. Not only that, but he loves you and he wants to be your father. He doesn't want the relationship to end there at just being your creator. as uh, just being the one who created you in his image. He wants to be your father. He sent the son of God, Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to take the judgment that we deserve for our sins, to resurrect from the grave three days later, to ascend to the right hand of God, sends us the Holy Spirit so that we can be reconciled into his family, so that we can be reconciled and restored into his kingdom. And in that, we can find our identity as a child of God, as one created in the image of God. So no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what our emotions are, no matter how we feel like we should express our identity, we can be rooted in this truth that God has created us. We have value. We have worth. We don't have to fight for it. You don't have to debate somebody online to prove that you are worthy or to prove that you should be treated as a human being. You have inherent worth and value as an image bearer of God. Furthermore, you are loved. God loved you so much that he, that he came himself in the son of God 
becoming incarnate in Jesus Christ to endure a brutal death on your behalf so that you can be reconciled to him. He loves you. He loves you. Your identity is one who is beloved by God. Your identity is one who God has orchestrated all the events of your life so that you would find him, so that you would find life in him. That was great. I 100% agree with what you're saying. That is the truth. That is the truth that if we come to understand this and if we come to find our identity in Christ as a child of God, then we are able to put emotions in their place. Yes, they're good. Yes, they can be helpful, but they can't be what defines us. What defines us is our worth in Christ. In that aspect, then we are able to selflessly lay down ourselves as Jesus did for us in order to hear what other people are saying and be humble. When I hear the word humility, my first reaction is to think of humility as you get run over, you get stepped on, you're you're nothing because you're putting yourself under other people. But that's not true. Um, there's a quote from Rick Warren that kind of changed my perspective on that. And that is humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And what that means is you are so secure in your identity in Christ that you are not afraid to lay yourself down, to lay down your emotions, and to love other people the way that Jesus has loved us first. I love the way that you brought security into that, because I think that that's part of the search for identity is to find security, to find belonging. And this is the invitation of Christ, to find security in him, to find belonging in him, to find confidence in the fact that you are created in his image and that you are loved by him. So without a doubt, it's not it's not an exaltation to you know, stop thinking about yourself, stop considering your true self, stop trying to figure out who you are. No, those are all good things, but we're trying to lovingly tell you that uh, your true self is one who is created in the image of God and one who is loved by him, one who is destined to have relationship with him. And so thinking of yourself less, thinking of God more, I think will actually bring you more joy, will actually bring you more security, will actually lead you to this feeling of belonging and identity and truth and centeredness that you are seeking because this is what you were designed for. This is how God has orchestrated all things. This is how he's designed the world to work. And so when you align your life accordingly, that's when you experience this idea of flourishing, thriving, experiencing the joy that you were created to experience. Thanks, Connor. I'm especially looking forward to our next episode, which will be releasing on 4th of July. Stay tuned, Warrior. We will have a special message for you. Thank you for listening to us. If you want to trust in Christ, or if you want to learn more about making Him the authority over your life and your emotions, or if you want to learn more about us, send us a message on our Instagram at WGMHQ. That's WGMHQ. We will make sure that someone gets in touch with you. This has been Warrior Podcast with Connor Shanahan. Warrior God Ministries' mission is to change the world by making disciples among military members and first responders and equipping them to be disciple makers and missionaries in their respective communities for the glory of Jesus Christ.